Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Houston, how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You like that? Changing it up. Change it up. We have a problem. <laughs> Houston, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, excited to tell another story. Yes. I, I There was a couple good comments. Yes. I was like very, we love that very much loved that. <laughs> um, so we're back at it again. Um, but I was going to ask you, I keep seeing all these like, what is it, SpaceX? And there's like one other guy who's doing it where they're like sending people like you can pay them to send you into space like that's what they're that's what like the business model that they're going after Mm -hmm. number one would you do it absolutely not and okay so (laughs) (laughs) was that not the answer you thought i would have i mean i i expected it not to be that quick oh sure sure um i can elaborate on that or do you want to ask me the other question elaborate on that point would i be sent into space for am i paying money or are they paying me no, you're paying money, but you're Absolutely like... Absolutely not. That you, makes it even easier. You have like Jeff Bezos money. Like you have enough if money have, that you could literally spend like a billion dollars a day and be like, fine. Okay. Um. No, I would prefer to keep my feet planted firmly on the ground and also not in the ocean either. It's land only. <laughs> land only. Um. No up, no down. Thank you so much. Next question. Next question. What about planes? <laughs> what about um, planes are fine. I don't like them, but it's fine. Okay. Well, I don't know. They go up into like fake space. They're like, they go up just enough for it's like quote unquote space, but you aren't, you aren't actually out of Earth's atmosphere. Airplanes? No, no, no. What they're doing with, oh. uh, I think it's like Blue Origin. Oh, I, I don't know anything about it. My response is. Yes. Hell yeah. Okay. I, I want to see it. See cool. what's up. But that is my segue into what we're going to talk about today. Yes. We're going to take you back to the thick of the Cold War in the 1960s. Okay. Space race, baby. Okay. What, which a, the what U- a time. Which the U.S. won in 1969 when they landed Apollo 11 on the moon for the first time, just beating President Kennedy's promise to land a man on the moon before 1970. Could so, it have been fake? Maybe. <laughs> if they did, they did a great job. They did great. This is like the best conspiracy that has yeah. ever been pulled off. Yeah. After Apollo 11, right? Apollo 12, obviously. Sure. They landed uh, and they're just like doing more exploration of the moon. So like Apollo 11 was just basically like, can we land someone on the moon and get them back alive? Period. And then Apollo 12 was like, we're going to put seismometers down. Seismometers? Seismometers. What are those? I guess that they like measure like earthquakes and shit on Earth. Uh So like what they were trying to do is like wait for a meteor to impact. And then they would like measure like the waves, the waves and kind of see like, okay, how thick is the moon? Okay. And like what's in it? Like what's it made out of? Cheese. And then like other, yes, cheese. And like, I don't know, I guess they measure like other like rumblings. Like if the moon had an earthquake, or they, like would, they would know. A bellyache? Yeah. Okay. If it like wasn't feeling good. Sick. So they did that. They came back safe as well. And then Apollo 13, they were like, okay, that worked. We're going to try and do more. So Apollo 13 was crewed by Jim Lovell, 
Jack Swigert, and Fred Hayes. Jim was 42 years old at the time of the space flight. He had graduated from the United States Naval Academy and had been both a naval aviator and test pilot. He was selected for a second group of astronauts back in 1962 before he completed three other manned missions into space before Apollo 13. And he had actually been the NASA astronaut with the most time logged in space with over 572 hours over the three missions. Wow, that sounds um, very accomplished. Yes, and he's about to do more. Jim's in a great spot. He's feeling good. He's already done this. Jack Swigert was 38 years old and had a degree in mechanical engineering and a master's in aerospace science before he served in the Air Force and State Air National Guards and then was an engineering test pilot before he was selected for the fifth group of astronauts in 1966. Fred Hayes was 35. He had been a Marine Corps fighter pilot and a civilian research pilot for NASA when he was selected for uh, to be an astronaut. So these are the three of the crew that are going up in Apollo 13. The crew had been through intense training, logging over a thousand hours of mission-specific training to prepare them for their foray into space. And originally, Ken Mattingly was actually supposed to go up as part of the original crew on Apollo 13 instead of Jack Swigert. However, another member of the secondary crew, Charles Duke, contracted rubella two days before they were supposed to go up and fly, and in he exposed the entire original crew and the entire backup crew. Mattingly was the only astronaut of either of the crew to not have immunity through prior exposure. So they couldn't send him up because they were like, they were like you know, if you get sick out there, you're screwed. Yeah. So we can't send you up, but we can send any of the five up because they have prior exposure. And what is rubella? If Do you know? It's basically like measles okay that's a form of measles it's called the german measles oh i looked it up okay yeah i didn't know what it was either yeah but it came out to not good not good in space yeah Yeah, not good in space sure usually if there was a problem they would like replace the entire backup crew for the original crew and then just have the original crew go on the next mission but in this case since everyone's was exposed they swapped out one for one jack swagger for ken okay little a little one two excitement <laughs> yeah a little one two excitement before they shot up so the crew suited up on april 11th 1970 this date had actually been pushed out about a month after just like general planning didn't come together and they were like you know we need more time before this pops off so they moved it a month to april 11th they all climbed inside the Goliath of a spacecraft that was the Saturn rocket. It weighed in at over 6.5 million pounds and was the heaviest yet flown by NASA. That's scary. That's big. That's big. And because I love numbers, oh god, here it is. This weight is the equivalent of over 1,500 average-sized cars. Wow. For anyone that also likes numbers and comparisons. This craft consisted of a command module and a service module that was above the lunar module that they would land on the moon with. The command service module, because the service and command module are connected, basically looks like a top that you would take and spin on a table. Mm -hmm. And the like point, that top part, 
was the command module and the service module was, would be like the base that you twist with your hands. That's kind of what we're working with. It almost kind of looks like, um, what do you call it? Like a bottle rocket too. So in addition to these, there were three stages of fuel that connected together one on top of the other beneath what I just described. So it's big. Right. They strapped in and had to go through a long list of final checks, just making sure that like everything's go, all systems are operational. Did you eat breakfast? Did you tie your shoes? Did you pee? Did you pee? Right. And just like make sure that we aren't going to explode while we launch. Right. They, they get in and I'm sure that they're like really excited, but then they have to wait like a long time before they actually lift off. But finally, the all clear is given by the department leads and flight control relays the message that they're going to begin liftoff. And at 2.13 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, with the whole world watching, the rocket begins to ignite the first of its five million pounds of fuel. So the ship slowly gains speed and within a few moments, the crew breaks the sound barrier. The initial stage burned for almost three minutes and brought the crew up to 42 miles above the earth, traveling at over 6,000 miles per hour. This was before the first stage's bolts connecting it to the second stage exploded, disconnecting it from the rest of the rocket. So the crew kind of feels like this explosion. Is that and, normal or? Yeah. Okay. So like what happens when these things launch is like the stages contain fuel and they'll burn off. And once they're empty, they just detach. Right. Because if they kept on, you would have to kind of pull that dead weight. Right. I, so, I feel like I knew that, but I just wanted to make sure that was the, uh, the normal part. Yes, it's normal. Sick. But, you know, they feel it like rock the ship and then they feel the second stage kick in and then they're like, continuing to accelerate it's popping off this is when the first thing goes wrong which would would set the tone for the rest of this mission okay so the second stage had five engines burning one in the middle and then four around it kind of in like a square mm -hmm. due to uneven burning called pogo oscillations the computer inside the ship shut off the middle engine which was the biggest so like basically i imagine this as like kind of like a pogo stick like going up and down like it's burning unevenly so mm -hmm. it's like really big push up Bursts. and then like not yeah yeah so if that kept going it would basically like could cause the ship to rip apart and explode oh and post-flight analysis would find that it was shut off one cycle from disaster wow love that so, Thank you, computers. Yes. So literally saved their lives here. This was, this was actually okay because the middle engine turned off and the other four took over. Perfect. Great. If any of the other four around the ship had had to turn off, it wouldn't have kept going straight and would have like veered off and that would have been bad. Right. So if we're going to lose an engine, it's going to be this one. Okay. That's so, like bad, but good, I guess. Clenchy? Clenchy. But okay. My butthole's clenched. <laughs> so the other four engines finished the second stage's burn, and this second stage exploded and was dropped. The third stage burned a little longer to compensate, but then they were brought into what's called a parking orbit, which means like it's kind of like a transitionary period before you leave Earth. Okay. So they got to where they need to be, 
They burned a little bit extra, but NASA had planned for that. They gave each stage a little bit extra fuel to kind of play with if something went wrong. So we're doing okay. This is, see, this is what stresses me out about the idea of going to space. It just feels like it's like a lot of just like, we hope so, you know? It's a lot of like, we hope that it goes the way we want it to, but we're not entirely sure, ha <laughs> ha you know? It's one of those. I mean... Honestly, that's just kind of what engineering is, but like you just like plan, you try to do everything you can to like have it not go wrong, but like we did everything ah, we could. We'll see. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I don't think I want to be a part of that. Yeah, but I mean, they like trained for a thousand hours. It's right. not like there's five people working on this. Like there's like hundreds of people yeah. working day and night to make this happen. No, I get that. But my anxiety can barely handle like a regular plane. So you can't go on a boat. <laughs> I don't like boats that you much. You don't like boats. I mean like some boats, I guess. You can but... go on a lake, but like the ocean, maybe not. So like this isn't for you. I've been on a couple cruise ships, but to be honest, they stress me out a little bit. <laughs> I'd go on a cruise again. I, we're, we're getting off topic here. <laughs> I don't know, like, cruises aren't like, I don't know, I don't like cruises. You don't go anywhere, you just go to a ship. Da, na, 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 na. That's the Titanic thong song, isn't it? Thong song. Thong song? I'm sorry, <laughs> I meant song. All right, back on topic. Back on topic. So they're in a parking orbit around Earth. This is basically just to get them into the right position to fire off towards the moon. So the third stage fires them off and they leave Earth's orbit. After this happens, the command and the service module turn around in space so that the tip will come back and connect to the lunar module. Did that make sense? Sorry, say it again? So basically the top detached and flipped around so that the tip connected to the lunar module. It needed to do like a 180? Pretty much. Okay. Just like casually in space traveling like thousands of miles per hour. That's very weird. I would have never thought that that was a thing that happened, but all right. Sick. So cool. Sick. I mean, I guess I'm not an astronaut or like a aerospace engineer, so I guess why would I know what happens, but... Oh, you don't know? I'm sorry. It's dumb? It's not rocket science, Stephanie. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I don't... When I was reading this, I also had to read it like five times. Yeah. I was like, really? They like flipped around so that it's like not aerodynamic but then i was like oh it's in space that doesn't matter interesting anyway so they did that shit right right exactly <laughs> so the third stage was actually let go after this on a trajectory that would land it basically crash it into the moon so that the seismometers would have something to do Okay. And they would figure out some shit about the moon, probably like how big it is. That's some planning right there. Yeah. So they were like, well, we don't need this thing. We might as well crash it. This makes me feel like an absolute dummy. <laughs> I feel like I'm just sitting here like, duh, what happened? That's good. Yeah. I mean, me too. Uh, like there was a bunch of like technical terms that I just straight up cut out of the story okay. because... I'm like the, the five or no, yeah, that yeah. and then like the pogo oscillations. It was like this whole long string. I was like, oh, okay, so you mean that like it was just like burning unevenly, right? Like okay, a, a three a three word phase that would have completely been okay, right? But we had to like drag it out anyway. So phase three has now crashed into the moon. Correct. And it, that's giving the seismometer something to do. Right. And they're still flying through space. Correct. Okay, tell me more. Yes, I thought this was fun. The command service module was nicknamed the Odyssey 
Okay. And because the lunar module had been finished being built on January 22, uh, 22nd, it was nicknamed the Aquarius. Okay, a little astrology. So the crew settled in for what would be a three-day trip in order to reach the moon at this point. It's 238,900 miles from the moon to Earth. And because I really like comparisons and to hopefully put some perspective into it. Mm -hmm. This means that you could take Earth and then stack another 30 Earths in between the Earth and the moon before you would reach the moon. That's so many Earths. Yeah, and even if you did that, you'd still have over a thousand miles in between them. Whoa. So, far. Far. Yep. As they're traveling to the moon, about 30 hours into the mission, the crew flipped on the TV camera for home and performed another burn that would allow them to reach the Fra Moro formation, the famous dark spot on the moon that you see, oh. rather than landing on the moon's equator, which would have been way easier, but Apollo 12 and 11 had already done some stuff like that. So this brought them into what is called a hybrid trajectory, and this means that if they did nothing, they would loop around the moon and come back and miss Earth. So they have to like reposition themselves in order to come back home. Oh. But they have to do this in order to get to the Fra Moro formation. Right. This is important. That sounds really high stakes. Yep, but they're doing it. They're... <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, not anxiety-inducing in any capacity. <laughs> During this leg of the journey, Jack Swigert actually remembered that he had forgot to file his federal income tax return before April 15th. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. He was able to get a 60-day extension for being out of the country at the time of filing. Being out of the earth? I'm sorry, IRS. I'm out of the earth right now. Can I have an extension, please? Yeah, I was like, can't you just have your wife file it? Like, do you have anyone else that could file it for you? Whatever. I'm sure that they being, didn't care. He's like literally breaking science ground. Being out of the country. Try yeah. out of the atmosphere, guy. What the <laughs> fuck? I'm sure that they had to be like, well, I mean, we have to do it by the book. I, mean, I guess he was technically out of the country. Oh, my God. Testing of the lunar module was scheduled to double check that their systems were like working and that they were okay for the moon landing. So this was on the third day. Another TV broadcast was scheduled while they were testing the lunar module to like show off both craft. And this broadcast was started by Jim Lovell and he was showing off the interiors of the Odyssey and the Aquarius. The broadcast was actually not carried by any of the major television networks, all three of them right. at the time. Remember TV? Remember baby jessica remember <laughs> um so if any of the wives or children or their families wanted to watch them they actually had to go into the vip room of mission control to watch wow which i bet they did they probably did yeah i don't know but like what the fuck else are you doing exactly <laughs> uh, i would imagine it's also pretty cool yeah just over six minutes after the broadcast ended, the crew shut off the camera and shut off the lunar module's electrical systems when ground control noticed one of the pressure sensors for the oxygen tanks was malfunctioning. The operator in charge of monitoring this asked the crew to stir the oxygen tank because this usually like leveled out the pressure 
So like I guess in space, like it'll separate. So they stir it up and it'll equalize the pressure. It's kind of like air conditioning trying to like blow throughout the room. Mm. Jack Swigert's flipped on the stirring fan and after a few seconds he shut it off and everything was back to normal until or so they thought oh there you go you're on to it (laughs) the last calm and perhaps tranquil 95 seconds after they stop stirring it pass before a huge bang rocks the service module Uh oh the electrical power begins fluctuating wildly and firing the engines that are used to spin the aircraft um wait please hold Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Thank you. Is that where it was? This is exactly Hell where it is. Hell yeah. <laughs> You're almost too smart. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but so their electricity is fluctuating and they're spinning. And they don't know why the fuck that is. But they were just hit with something or an explosion happened. They have no idea. I would be shitting my pants, period. Oh, yeah. Period. <laughs> period. So communications were lost briefly with ground control for about 1.8 seconds, and then they were regained. After which, Jack Swigert famously radioed, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Okay. Which is commonly misquoted as, Houston, we have a problem. Oh, yes. So get fucked, you were wrong. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is, get fucked, you idiot. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this is the the famous moment. Right. Yep. Houston, we have a problem. Everyone's trying to figure out what the fuck just happened, Yeah. basically. So the crew originally thought that they had been hit by a meteor, but couldn't see any leaks coming from the aircraft that would indicate that, or like any broken glass, anything of the sort. So they decided that that was unlikely. Systems appeared to return to normal after a short period of fluctuation and spinning before the crew noticed that one of their oxygen tanks was completely empty and the other one was losing pressure rapidly. And this is another confusing part that took me a while to wrap my brain around. Okay. But let me explain. Please do. The entire command and service module is powered by a fuel cell that produces electricity, which is fed by hydrogen and oxygen. So this is why the oxygen tanks being out of oxygen is bad. Not only can is it for breathing, breathing. air, yeah. it's for generating power. So basically, hydrogen and oxygen come together in a fuel cell, which generates electricity and water as a byproduct that can be used to cool down any systems, and in a pinch, they can use it to drink. Wow, so that is a lot of smart things. I was like, holy shit. I didn't know that was a thing. Also, like, how many dual uses in one explanation were there? A lot. That's crazy. Yeah. However cool that is, they're still not in a great place. No, that sounds terrifying. How much backup oxygen do they have? Great question. (laughs) So one tank's completely empty. One's losing pressure rapidly. There's three tanks. That's it? Three. Bitch, that's not enough. (laughs) Apparently not. When you lose two of them, apparently not. Jesus. So tank two's out, and when tank one ran out of oxygen, the remaining third tank would be automatically shut off to conserve oxygen, and then the service module would only be able to be run on the battery power that they had left, and then an additional oxygen surge tank. So basically, 
This means when they run out of oxygen in tank one, they only have a few hours left before they die. Hours? Yeah. Only a few hours. If they stay in the command and service module, yes. Holy shit. So, at this point... They're like, don't panic. Unclench <laughs> your buttholes. Just Everything's going to be just fine. Just relax. We're going to do a mindfulness meditation. Don't breathe too deeply. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, at this point, the goal quickly became solely to get the crew back home alive. GTFO. It's like, we are no longer landing on the moon. Yeah. 100%. Ground control breaks into a frenzy of plans and like just how do we get them back home, period. So a direct abort was considered, which is basically like they're going to the moon, they just come straight back. Right. And they like fire off the thrusters to send them backwards. This was considered initially, it's like the most obvious plan. And if they had had this problem earlier, it probably would have been more plausible, but they're already a f only a few hours before the moon's gravity starts to affect them. So this was decided against because they're like, I mean, if we were close enough, this might be an option, but the propulsion system that pushes the command in the service module might have been damaged in the explosion as well. And we don't want to tempt fate here. Right. We've already had a couple of things go wrong. Exactly. Let's not do that. Yeah. Like I said, they're, if they just stay in where they are now, they only have a few hours left. So they come up that their best option is to, number one, slingshot around the moon and back to Earth without using much of their fuel and not using the command and service modules like engine, then to stay inside the lunar module as like kind of a lifeboat. So basically, like, they would use the oxygen and power that the lunar module was supposed to use for them to land on the moon, stay in there, and then repower the command module to land. That is a lot of shit. Yes. God damn. Yeah, so they're they're doing it. They're slingshotting around the moon. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, oh, dude. Sick wave. <laughs> So this was actually an emergency plan that was accounted for before time after a failed training simulation in 1966, four years before this. It had never been executed, obviously, and had never been retested after the plan was created. So like they had a plan, but we're not sure if it works. They're like, That's basically we don't it. know. That's what I'm saying. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And the training simulation failed. Like they all Fuck. died. Fuck. They all died in the, no. in the simulation. Oh, give me good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is that the crew powered up the lunar module and crammed in after copying down their orientation information from the command and service modules computer systems. Transfer that over. Then they shut themselves off, sealing themselves inside the lunar module. They're okay for now. Right. Right. The lunar module was designed to keep two astronauts alive on the surface of the moon for about a day and a half. Now, yes, there's three astronauts, right? That's good. That we have to keep alive for four days. Right. Um, for those of you who aren't in the room with us, I put up my three fingers and then four fingers. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to be condescending. She did. Oh, no, shit. no. <laughs> I, I didn't think you were. I just, you know, no one else is here but us. <laughs> you guys understand, right? You get it. That's a problem. <laughs> yes, this is a problem. So luckily there was enough oxygen 
because when they were going to land on the moon, they were going to get out and like do shit and then repressurize the cabin. So like when they go out, they like kind of basically let the cabin be space. And when they come back, they repressurize it. So they were kind of planning on, on doing that, I think two times, two or three times. So they had extra oxygen to do that. So like oxygen's not a problem. They'll, they'll be able to get back home with what they have if they don't unpressurize, okay. which they're not going to do. Right. So the real problem would become from removing the carbon dioxide that they would all breathe out inside the cabin because it's small, right? Right. It's only for two people. And they remove the carbon dioxide from lithium hydroxide pellets. Basically, it's just like a substance that reacts with carbon dioxide and pulls it out. Okay. That's all it does. But remember that they only expected to use that for about a day and a half. So this is like the limiting factor. Right. The crew would be okay for about a day or so on the current supply. So the immediate next step was to bring the craft back into a trajectory that would land them on t- on the Earth, right? Right. Because remember, they put themselves on a hybrid trajectory, which means that they would miss Earth on the way da- on the way back. So they need to kind of correct. New code actually had to be written by technicians on the ground. In a time crunch, since no one thought that the lunar module's thrusters would actually like perform this type of maneuver while attached to the, to the command and service module. So they like have to write code and upload it before they do this. I'm sorry, as someone who codes, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I want to die because <laughs> I work on software that is absolutely not controlling anyone's life. No. And is almost always not under this much of a time pressure. So I can't even imagine because like this is back in I think 70s. This, wait, this is this, this is back in the 70s where there's no like checking. Like right. there's no testing. Like really? Right. The only testing is like look at it and if seems and good. Like, yeah, make sure it's good because <laughs> oh like there's no can we upload it to a simulator that tests it? No, there's none of that shit right now. Whoa. So I rely on that all the time. So I can't even imagine how much pressure these people are under. Holy shit. But basically they need to recalibrate the systems to be like, okay, the lunar module is attached to the command and service module. So like factor in all that extra weight where they are right now and the trajectory that they're on. And then like when this when the thrusters go, make sure that our calculations are right. Mm. The new code was entered and it must have worked well enough because a quick half minute burn brought the crew back into a return trajectory. Okay. So this path would have brought them back to Earth in about four days, splashing down somewhere in the Indian Ocean. I mean, they're hundreds of thousands of miles away from Earth. So they're like, we think the Indian Ocean? Like, right. it's like how much, um, what do you call it? Like sig figs are like margin of air. Yeah. Margin of margin air. Margin of error. So like it just adds up over 200,000 miles. Right. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> NASA was like, okay, we don't really have the resources to help with a recovery in the Indian Ocean. So we need to change trajectory again. So like they're still on their way to the moon at this point. And they're like, okay, we can do another burn that would, number one, save 12 hours And then number two, put them on a trajectory to land in the Pacific Ocean instead, where we have U.S. Navy ships to Uh pick them up. 
this would bring them home quicker and hopefully like give them a little buffer of running out of whatever the fuck that they need to stay alive. This happened right when they were on the far side of the moon and they did a quick burn to bring them onto this trajectory. And the accuracy of this second change was calculated with the coordinates that Jim Lovell had copied from the service and command module and brought it into the lunar module's computer systems and basically just like typed it in. And then they coupled this with a second check by using the position of one of the stars that they saw to like calculate where where they were in space. The problem with that... (laughs) Tell me the problem with that. The problem with that, right? (laughs) There's not enough problems yet. There's a bunch of debris around the ship from the explosion. So they can't see like the normal stars that they would use to do this calculation. Your face is priceless. Oh yeah, for sure. No, no, no. I'm with you. I got it. We're cool. We're cool. Tell so, me about it. Yeah. They used the one star that they could see without any obstruction, which was the sun. Oh. No, good. That's good. That's the exact reaction I had when I was reading this. I was like, duh. <laughs> I was like, the sun's a star. <laughs> So they can still see that one. That's good. So they executed the second burn successfully, and they actually set a world record for the highest altitude ever attained by a crewed spacecraft on the far side of the moon. Okay. That's a record I bet they didn't want to break. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can imagine they're like, you just broke the Guinness World. They're like, I don't care. I don't (laughs) care. Bring me home. (laughs) What are we going to do about the air? <laughs> right. So the next problem was, how are we going to get the carbon dioxide out of the cabin? And after they looped around the moon, they literally only had like a few hours before the crew would asphyxiate. Uh, oh, Expe- oh, oh. Expeciate? Yep. Yeah. Should I reset that? It's fine. Whatever. Okay. Um, so the CO2, like I said, is being removed from the lithium hydroxide pellets, which are stored in canisters, which are in each of the modules. So there's some in the lunar module, there's some in the command module, but the command module's fucked, so we're using the lunar module. So they were figuring out, like, how do we use the canisters that are in the command module and just, like, bring them into the lunar module so that we don't die? The problem... With that. With that is (laughs) the canisters in the command module were in the shape of a square. Oh my God. And the canisters in the lunar module were a circle. Were a circle. (laughs) Get fucked. Whose design was that? (laughs) So it's like, I literally put in all caps, they were in the wrong shape in my notes. And like varying the case, <laughs> like that one SpongeBob episode. Does anyone get what the memes that I'm talking about? Yes. I can't believe this was a fucking problem. Oh my god! But this was I'm this just, was seriously one of the biggest problems. I'm just imagining a, a baby with like blocks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you literally can't fit the cube block in the sphere shape. Oh no, baby, figure it out. Like. But, like, imagine that your life is at stake. No, literally. <laughs> like, you... <laughs> Start shoving it in. Jesus Christ. What a weird problem to have as a NASA astronaut. This is goofy. This is just... <laughs> too goofy. 
Um, so the engineers on the ground are going into a frenzy to figure out how the fuck to make this work. Right. They were like working nonstop, multiple teams. The best solution that anyone could come up with was to bridge the gap between the canisters and the entry point of the cartridge slots with an air hose from one of their spacesuits, covers that were ripped from the procedure manuals, and duct tape. Wow, that is some shit right there. So they're like, just use duct tape. They're like, I don't know, man. Duct tape? <laughs> Something. Like, how much do we pay you? Just shove it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So I can't even imagine like being, being the crew and be like, that's what you got. Did they? <laughs> like, we're going to die. Yeah. Did duct they, tape is your answer? Did they at least have that like astronaut ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm sure that they did. I, like I mean, they they are lean. There's no fun. They're. Like, There's no fun. Okay. <laughs> You're like Hagen Doss? No. Dippin' Dots? <laughs> so they called this makeshift device the mailbox. Okay. And after an hour of communicating the plan, Jack Swiger and Hayes build the improvised thing. Right. And soon after, with only a couple hours to spare, carbon dioxide levels dropped. Good. And it worked. Wow. And it actually worked pretty damn well. That's good. Uh, the astronauts were, like, pretty surprised. They're like... Sick, like sick not gonna die and they were like uh this is a great like cooperation between the ground and the crew good so everyone's in high spirits good higher than before right so not another problem but another thing that they were watching but wasn't immediately life-threatening was the water and power levels of the lunar module this was adding to the list of things that could go wrong and the lunar module was different from the service module power system that I described. So like remember hydrogen and oxygen are coming together to make power and water. That wasn't how the lunar module worked. Like they just had regular old batteries. So they it wasn't start. I'm, yeah. so, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So Go ahead. I'm just they gotta start like integrating the two modules a little bit better. Right. Like what what's the plan here, friends? Yeah. I'm sorry, that was a stupid interruption. Keep going. I'm just I'm just like I just don't understand how they didn't think that that would be a problem at some point. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm having similar thoughts, but um, you know, I'm sure they did their best, you know. Well, they tried. Their best was really did. Good enough. You know. So, it's not as efficient. It's not doing two for one things for them. It's just giving them power only. So they had to ration the water. So they had water in the looter module for cooling. But, you know, if they keep drinking it, eventually they'll run out of water for cooling the systems that are currently keeping them alive. Right. They calculated that they would make it back to Earth with only about two to three hours to spare with water and power. The crew's ration of water during this time was a bit less than half a regular water bottle you would buy from a grocery store. Um, trying to think like ice mountain water bottle. Yeah, like a couple of It's about ounces. seventeen ounces. They were drinking six. Wow. And Just for how many days? Four. Whoa. Right? That's spooky. Not a lot of water. That's a little spooky. But I'd imagine that if they had to, they would yeah. just drink less water because you can survive three days without water. Right, but not comfortably. <laughs> I mean, it's going to suck, but yeah, you won't die. Right. Yeah. So I feel like this two to three hours thing probably had some wiggle room. But still, it's not comfortable, and they they don't have much room to play with here. Right. 
And the bitch of this is that Hayes actually developed a UTI on the journey home because of the reduced water intake. Not a UTI. So. And they didn't have cranberry juice on board, huh? (laughs) No, no vodka crans. Pour one out for everyone who's ever had a UTI. Oh, babes. Yeah, I've been lucky enough. God damn. I mean, they're not personal. (laughs) No, I mean, they're not common in men. I don't think. Yeah. But damn. Yeah. So that sucks. So further adding to the uncomfortability of this ride home, they were trying to obviously conserve as much power resources as humanly possible. So they are running at bare minimum and the cruise cabin temperature dropped as low as 38 degrees Celsius on the way home. Mm. So that's about three degrees Fahrenheit. Oh no. Fucking cold. A bit chilly. Yeah, a bit. Just a wee bit nippy. Just a bit. So Jack Swigert actually had it the worst because he had gotten his feet wet while he was filling up bags of water from the command module, like their last bits of water before they came back over. He's got wet feet and it's like three degrees. Oh my God. So not comfy. The crew had also been told not to discharge their urine into space to avoid perturbing the trajectory and they had to store it in bags for the ride home. And I was like, what the fuck? Like throwing a bag out of it would change the trajectory. But like crazy. I mean, the guy who has the UTI isn't really having that problem. He's peeing fire. Yeah. He's like, if I could not pee, that'd be great. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how it works, but I can believe that like something that small would actually affect it. But like, you know, over, over thousands of miles, like probably, I guess. That's really delicate. That's insane. So during this time, the sudden change in temperature also developed condensation on the walls, which they were worried was going to short the electricity on the way back, but it wasn't so far. Oh my God. They were really hoping that the insulation on all the like wiring was going to stay intact because there's just water everywhere. They also had to think about how to power up the command module before they landed because this is the thing that they're going to land in. It was designed with heat shields to like kind of endure the... Coming back to Earth? Yeah. Yeah. So like I guess the air, like the friction from the air makes it like really hot. Yeah. So they have to go back there and they have to repower it up because they just powered it down to like use the lunar module for this whole time. But it was never designed to do that. So this is adding to the anxiety. But during this whole time, the crew barely complained, and I'm sure that they were just happy to have any chance of surviving. Yeah. They're uh, they're taking it on the chin, and the crew and the ground crew were watching their return trajectory really carefully, like making sure that they were still going to land in water. And twice they had to correct for a trajectory that would have landed them not in the Pacific Ocean. So they had to do two more burns to keep them on where they wanted to be. They're hanging on. (laughs) Yeah, scary. And finally, at 133 hours into the aborted mission, ground control gave the okay to power up the command module and service module again and start to raise the cabin temperature. So they're all praying that the condensation won't be a problem for the electrical and that the whole system will actually restart. Jesus. So the crew executed these orders and watched nervously as Mission Control's plan works to power up each component of the ship one by one, and all at once, all the teams burst into cheers. They're like, we're so close. Like, yeah. we did it. It wasn't designed to do this, but like, fuck it, we ball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
So as the crew prepared for re-entry, one last problem that had to be solved by the mission before they touched down, as if they didn't have enough fucking issues. This was the problem of separating the lunar module from the command module with limited power, like basically no power. Mm -hmm. So all their power was used to like keep them warm and like all the other systems that needed to be on going. But once they got to the point where they're re-entering Earth, they didn't have enough power to like detach the lunar module, which isn't designed to enter Earth on the tip of the command module. So like this is only supposed to exist in space. Right. The only hope that they have to separate from the lunar module was to quickly pressurize the tunnel connecting it to the command module. So they have to do this with the exact correct pressure, just enough to get it away from the command module, but not so much that it breaks the seal that's going to like shield them from the heat of re-entry. A team of engineers from the University of Toronto were summoned to help with this calculation and talk about pressure. The code people had pressure, but these people just about have the same. Pressure, yeah. Yeah, they're doing like pretty much hand calculations. Fuck. Like, you know, there's figure it out. And at the last minute, just before re-entry, the crew placed their trust into these people that had brought them this far and used their numbers to enter it into the computer and pressurize the cabin and detach from the lunar module as fuck. <laughs> right. That is the scientific terms. Boom. So they detached like just enough, just right after like pretty much just trusting that these are right. So their treacherous descent begins as the rest of the world clutches their seats because... Grasps their pearls. (laughs) Yes, just clutches their pearls because this whole time that they're looping around the moon and coming back, like everyone knows every press organization is talking about it everyone's doing news segments on it and everyone's really concerned as they should be as they should be the crew burns through the atmosphere during re-entry and they knew that they would lose communications in the upper layers of the atmosphere for about four minutes it was estimated however the four minutes went by and communications did not recover And they're like, what's going on here? So they're like, okay, maybe it's like, you know, they just had a little extra time. But four minutes turned into five, and five minutes turned into six, and still the crew had not reestablished communications. And on the ground, they were starting to fear, like, the heat shields had failed because of the explosion. They're like, are they dead? Like, you have no idea. Their families have no idea. I don't know if they were in the room, but nobody knows what's happening to these people. My mouth is just agape. I... (laughs) So, I mean, it was a real concern because, like, there was literally an explosion in space. So, just after the six-minute mark of the blackout, the Odyssey regained communications, and everyone was elated and was bracing for the landing in the Pacific. Everyone screamed and kissed and cried and pooped at the same time. For, like, the sixth time. Holy shit. Yeah. So... 40 million Americans tuned in to watch the Apollo 13 splashdown with even more watching worldwide. Several nations offered help if it was needed for the crew's safe return. Like, if you need us to send ships, like, we got you. Yeah. The Soviet Union even sent four ships to the area and offered its help. Love that. Which is like, we're supposed to be hating each other. But, but you know, thank like you. a cool, like... Little fist yeah, bump. Yeah, like fist bump. <laughs> Good. So they even sent ships to the area. It's like really the whole world is kind of coming together in mutual concern. So during the time that they are burning through the atmosphere, 
The U.S. Congress passed a bill that urged businesses to shut down at 9 p.m. and say a prayer for the astronauts. <laughs> They're like, just do a little prayer. Throw it up. Throw it up. Pope Paul VI led a congregation of 10,000 people to pray for the astronauts' safe return. Wow. And a massive religious festival in India also offered prayers for the astronauts. Wow. That was apparently at least 10 times bigger than the Pope's congregation. So... Cool flex. Cool flex. So everyone, like literally everyone's praying for that's, them. That's, wow, that's really cool that the whole world was like doing that. So Apollo 13 splashes down safely in the South Pacific Ocean just a few miles from this recovery ship, the USS Iwo Jima, and the crew makes it home safely. Boom. We did it. Holy shit. I was going to say, do she float though? But I guess she do. She have to. She have to. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how it works. Is it like you only have a few hours before you sink? Yeah, because in the beginning you're like, it's this equivalent of thousands of cars, millions of pounds. And now I'm like, <laughs> uh, do she float though? <laughs> <laughs> she was thick. But remember? But like... they, yeah, she pooped out her <laughs> Oh my god. She did. Listen, we're all friends here. She lost <laughs> some baggage. It's fine. <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> it's late <laughs> it's late yeah it's too late so mom we made it <laughs> good um so the crew was scooped out of the pacific ocean and flown to hawaii where then president nixon awarded them the presidential medal of freedom freedom where they had an all expensive paid trip Jesus Christ. to maui <laughs> we're going to disneyland baby oh my god i'm losing it um, so this was the highest civilian honor that a president could bestow upon someone. The award was also given to the entire mission operations team of NASA that helped bring the team back to Earth safely after the NASA administrator Thomas Paine refused to receive it himself and insisted that it was given to the entire team. Wow. So shout out Tom. Hell yeah. Selfless guy. And he's like, it wasn't me. It was everyone. Yeah. So that is the story of Apollo 13 making it back home against all fucking odds God and damn. all the problems that they had. And really just like a bunch of people coming together to do just amazing work for these people. Wow. That's an incredible story. I'm shook. I mean, my mouth was open for like 70% of that story. My eyes probably looked a little buggy, you know? At times. A little bug eye. At times they were squinted. Yeah, well, squinted and then really Kinda wide. Like Pepe the Frog. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. I uh, mean, I rip. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> Maybe meme, not that, that meme turned sour. Yeah, but y you know what he looks like. Yeah, yeah. Not trying to be. No, no, no. What, you know. We're you know good. what I mean? Yes. We're not that. Anyway. <laughs> But wow, that is a really, really cool story. That is, um, I don't know what to say about that. It just feels like it shouldn't have happened, but... It did. It did. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure that the crew felt the same way. And actually, they never flew in space again. Well, no shit. <clears throat> Why would you? Yeah, I mean, who can blame them? I wouldn't. I wouldn't now. Goddamn. Like, yeah, if your plane crashed, would you be a pilot? I don't know. No, I don't know. I probably wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Is there, are there movies? That sounds like a movie. Yes. There's a biopic with Tom Hanks that oh. was made, I think, in the 1990s. Tom Hanks. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Tom's in it. There's a bunch of famous 
people. I feel like who's the other act- actors are Gary Sinise is in it okay. from uh, Forrest Gump. I guess they're a duo. They do oh, okay. they do multiple movies together. I want to watch that. But yeah, they they did a movie on it I'm for gonna, sure. I'm gonna watch for the sure. shit out of that. There's a lot of documentaries on it as well. So another detail that I actually like found pretty interesting that I did not yet mention was that they had like a nuclear fuel cell on the ship um, that they were going to use to like once they landed on the moon they were going to put more like seismometers down and like other instruments that needed power and they were going to power it with like a nuclear power capsule and because they didn't land on the moon they like touched down with it and basically it sunk to the bottom of the ocean and they like called up the atomic energy commission they were like is this okay (laughs) hey is this a problem Problem? It's a problem. So it was plutonium oxide. Uh-huh. And um, it was in this, like, what they call a cask. I mean, it's basically just like a large pill that's, like, covered in lead to, like, right. keep the radiation in. And it sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And they, like, purposely landed over the Pacific Ocean in a specific place over, like, a trench so that it would go all the way down. And after they landed, helicopters did, like, a loop around and found, quote, like, no radioactive leakage but i was like thinking in the back of my head i was like what about at the bottom of the ocean well we haven't been to the bottom of the ocean that's the scary part don't know we don't know what's down there so it's still down there God somewhere damn just to add a little bit more scariness to the bottom of the freaking ocean let's put some, just like a radioactive pill down there yeah could you imagine being like a fish just like could you <laughs> swimming by like could huh, you imagine being huh. a fish <laughs> There you go. Like radiation. <laughs> That's really horrifying. Wow. The worst things. Space and the bottom of the ocean in one story. Love yep. that. But yeah, that's the story. Wow, that's really cool. Damn, well, all right, you got a good thing? No. No. No? <laughs> you better. I don't. I haven't thought of it. You need to go first. Okay, I'll go first. Um, My good thing is I... Got a new job. I got a new job. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool job. Everyone seems cool there so far, and I may or may not be bartending for some celebrities. I cannot say any more than that because I am contractually contractually obligated bound. To. <laughs> I can I literally can't say more than that. So um, yeah. Anyway. Also getting paid more. Uh, that cool. that too. That is that is why I changed my job. But um, usually nice. Yeah, so that's cool, and I look forward to it, and that's that on that. You got a good thing yet? Yeah, my good thing is that I got new AirPods, but I didn't purchase them because I bought them for my mom as a gift, but she didn't end up using them, and that's fine, and like honestly not mad about it because (laughs) now I got... New AirPods? Pretty much new AirPods. That's cool. But I mean, she was like, I I never use them, and I'm like, that's fine. Like, it was a surprise gift. Yeah. She didn't like it. The world moves on. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. I'll do better next time. But <laughs> yeah. Can you just do better next time? I, I tried. I was like, Mom, you can, you can like, talk without using your hands when you... She's, <laughs> but she hates anything in your ear, and I'm like, well, shit, I didn't know that. There so, you go. Here we go. But I got a new pair. That's good. So that's my good thing. Damn. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, hell yeah. thank you guys for listening. We hope you really enjoyed this one because I sure did. Um, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, follow us at not today underscore podcast. If you have a story, send it to me at notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Twitter at notodaypodcast, but the T at the end of podcast is a three, baby. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And we have a TikTok 
uh, not today podcast and just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.